0: I'm Hanif Baharudin and this is Gigi Well Played the show that talks about all things video games In this episode we're going to speak to Andrew Thio, founder of Forest Studio developer of a local indie game called The Company Man But before that here's Ali Johan and Ofnil Ting with a recap of some of the biggest news in the world of gaming
1: Thank you Hanif Here are some headlines of the week uh, The biggest news came from Valve uh, actually as they just announced a new portable gaming device called Steam Deck on the same day uh, that pre-orders for the new OLED Nintendo Switch went live. Uh, I don't know what they're trying to do there, but it's shaped like a Switch, but it's actually more like a handheld PC. Uh, And more on that in a bit, but the console comes with a 7-inch, 1280x800 resolution, 60Hz LCD screen, um, usual face buttons that you would expect on a modern joystick, including two analog sticks, two touch pads on both left and right, uh, shoulder buttons and triggers, as well as traditional buttons at the back of the console.
2: Internally, the Steam Deck is powered by a custom AMD APU featuring a 4-core, 8-thread CPU paired with 8 RD and A2 compute units for the GPU and 16 gigs of LPDDR5 RAM. That essentially means that it's more powerful than a Switch with reports comparing it to an Xbox One or a PS4. Uh, though some have said that because of its screen size, the power can also be compared to Xbox Series S. IGN, who got early access and preview to the yet-to-be-finalised device, said that the machine is powerful enough to run recent games. According to their report, they managed to run Control as well as Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order on high.
1: Yes, the machine will run on uh, Steam OS, uh, which means that you will instantly have access to your current Steam library and play all your games from the get go. But uh, Valve also said that the machine is essentially a portable PC, uh, and they will not be controlling how users would like to use the machine. You can technically install Windows if you want to, as well as play games on other platforms, as uh, you know, such as uh, from Epic Game Store or Microsoft Store. The possibilities are endless on this one, so netizens are saying that they can't wait to install emulators on the machine as well.
2: Yeah, despite being a portable machine, Valve will also release a dock that will allow you to plug in the deck into a monitor alongside keyboard and mouse. This very flexible machine will come in three different versions, separated by the size of the hard drive. The base model, priced at 399 USD, will have 64 GB of storage followed by a 529 USD model with a 256 GB storage and 649 USD version that has 512 GB of storage. Uh, the mid- and high-tier models will come with faster NVMe SSDs with the highest-tier model having an anti-glare screen. All models will have a uh, micro SD card slot for storage expansion as well.
1: Yeah, the internet went uh, pretty crazy uh, with this announcement the other day and uh, that's proven that as soon as they open uh the pre-orders for the console a couple of days later it sold out uh, a lot of uh, users had to wait for such a long time with some of them receiving random messages claiming that their accounts are new uh, despite them being long-time Steam account holders so that must have been quite annoying Scalpers were also in on the action um, as we can predict they were already accounts on eBay uh, selling their pre-ordered consoles at prices reaching more than $1,000 US so due to the overwhelming demand Valve has also announced that Delivery of the consoles have to be adjusted Um, Initially, they said that The base model will be available at the end of the year But now, that version will be delivered In uh, Q1 of 2022 next year With the 256GB model being available Only in Q2 next year and um, the 512GB model being available in Q3. So there's a bit of a wait there.
2: Mm-mm. This is probably due to the global silicon shortage, which is understandable. But regardless, Valve has truly surprised the market with this announcement. Let us know what you think. Were you excited by the announcement and the potential of this console? We were both talking about this, right? And yeah. the different potential that it will bring. I-, I think it's a real Switch killer. What about you?
1: Uh, Well, it looks great. Could take some getting used to,
2: but... To see. It's a mobile PC, right, as they mm-hmm. say. Up next, streaming giant Netflix is reportedly planning to diversify its business beyond TV and films by entering the world of video games. Rumour of this has persisted in the past year, but has slightly solidified after the tech giant appointed video game executive Mike Verdu. He has experience working with Electronic Arts, Inc., Zynga and Facebook and will join Netflix as Vice President of Game Development. While at Facebook, he worked with developers to bring games and content to Oculus Virtual Reality headsets.
1: Um, Netflix also toyed with the idea of bringing interactive content to its platform with the release of Choose Your Own Adventure episode of Black Mirror, for example, uh, titled Bend the Snatch uh, three years ago. That's uh, being the, the mo- one of their most high-profile attempts at that. And this is perhaps uh, Netflix's way of finding the edge in an increasingly competitive streaming scene despite still being uh, ahead of others. And for now, there are no clear details as to how they're going to pull it off but some have said that they're probably going to perhaps follow the Apple Arcade
2: route. Mm. And in a related report, a data miner has also unearthed a few PlayStation-related assets within the app, suggesting that Netflix is also looking to cooperate with Sony for future content on the platform. According to a report by videogameschronicle.com, the data miner found photos of Ghost of Tsushima as well as the DualSense controllers hinting at a possible collaboration between the two companies. Uh, whether it's going to come in the form of Sony supplying some sort of video game content on Netflix, or perhaps their video game movies yeah, it still remains to be seen, but Sony's film division, Sony Pictures Entertainment, already signed a deal with Netflix to release their films on the platform first after their theatrical run.
1: Yeah, so let's see how this will pan out, um, but um, let us know if you're listening... Are you excited to hear this news? Um, do you want the option to play games on Netflix? You know, that sounds like a nice proposition. Will this change the gaming landscape? Uh, you think? Uh, let us know your thoughts. Uh, tweet us at BFM Radio. Moving on, last month we reported on the news of EA being hacked with uh, almost 780 gigs of its data including source code to its frostbite engine being stolen by hackers. And the hackers initially wanted to sell the data in the dark webs but now they changed their minds. Instead, they are now planning to extort ransom money from EA. In a statement, the group of hackers have claimed that uh, they sent an email for ransom a few weeks ago but did not get any response from EA. So they will be now posting the source code to the games that they have stolen. Um, The statement is followed by a threat to share the data to the public if EA do not respond to them.
2: Yeah, and that message was followed up by a file containing 1.3 GB of compressed files reportedly containing development tools and data on EA's Origin Store. Uh, While this looks... Concerning EA is reportedly unperturbed, believing that it will not affect their products and services. In its statement, the publisher said that uh, we are aware of the recent post by the alleged hackers and we are analysing the files released. At this time, we continue to believe that it does not contain data that poses any concern to player privacy and we have no reason to believe that there is any material risk to our games, our business or our players. We continue to work with federal law enforcement officials as part of this ongoing criminal investigation. Investigation. Well, EA seems to be taking a very strong stand against the hackers, which is fair, but we'll see how this goes moving forward. Okay,
1: from EA, now we move on to the last news for today. Some delays from Ubisoft. Now, Rainbow Six Extraction, the latest installment in the Tactical FPS series, is now pushed to a January 2022 release date. While uh, Riders Republic, Ubisoft's multiplayer Extreme Sports title, will be released on the 28th of October this year. Both uh, are having been delayed a little bit from initial release dates. And according to the publisher, as they announce the delay of these games separately, they need more time to fine-tune the experience before launching.
2: Yeah, both these games have suffered multiple setbacks and delays, which is understandable considering the circumstances that we're in right now. But to quote a phrase that has been attributed to Nintendo legend Shigeru Miyamoto, a delayed game is eventually good, but the rushed game is forever bad. Wow. Ooh. So I guess we'll wait and see. Okay, that's all we have for this week's recap. Back to you, Hanif.
0: Corporate life is challenging, and sometimes, instead of working your way to the top, you have to literally fight your way to the top, going against colleagues and bosses who are in your way. That's the premise of The Company Man, a 2D action platformer developed by a local indie studio called Forest. Founder and lead developer of the game, Andrew Thio, joins us on the show to share the story of how their first ever game came to be.
3: Hi everyone, my name is Andrew. Uh, So I'm the game director as well as lead designer of The Company Man. I run a studio called Forest Studio. We are based here in Malaysia. We just released our first game. It came out on May 28th this year. And uh, we're really excited to see the response from the international community as well as the local community here in Malaysia. And uh, yeah, excited to see any questions that you have for us.
0: Um, I'm quite curious to know what's your relationship with video games like prior to, I guess, being a game developer yourself. Um, Do you play a lot of
3: games? Okay, so I actually do play a lot of games, and the type of games that I usually play. Uh, before I started, I actually played less games once I started making games because the amount of energy required to make a game is so high. That actually like took a lot of energy out of me and time just to make a game. But before that, I mean, I played this game called Bastion. So it's a really small game, but it. The studio behind it called Supergiant became really big. It's really famous now. They've made Transistor. Uh, they've also just made this game called Hades that is really killing it right now. We've learned a lot from them uh, because they started from a very small team as well. And yeah, I played games of that size and it really inspired me to start my own and explore this on my, my own as well.
0: Mm, okay, um, I understand that you have a degree in marketing, right? So what led you to being a game developer? Yeah. Maybe you can share your journey a bit with us.
3: Okay, so uh, basically when I was really young, I actually was really inspired by this game called Pokemon, which I'm sure uh, many in your audience might be familiar with. Uh, so being a young kid, I couldn't afford to get a Game Boy. But my parents then we couldn't get it as well. So what I did was I actually had a little textbook you know, uh, our little notebooks here in Malaysia. And I actually would draw my own version of Pokemon. So on one side, there would be this layout of this town with all these characters with some grass that you can run into little Pokemons. And then on the other side, it would reveal Pokemon that's hiding in the bushes, right? So I actually made something like that. I can't remember my exact age, but I was definitely um, very young, probably like 10 or 7 years old. And I actually sold that book uh, when I was really young, I think for probably like one ringgit or something like that to my friend. Then I came back to that school just for a visit, I think about four or five years later, and I saw that that book was still being circulated around the community. And I, I was just really touched by the experience because I think video games have this, or games actually in general, have this ability to connect people and transcend uh, different age groups and different communities. And that was my first exposure to how powerful playing together can actually be and really bringing together. These people I've never met uh, were actually forming relationships with this content that I created. Uh, this story I was telling. So, fast forward later, I decided to just take a safe path, just become like a regular business person. I was studying marketing in Monash, uh, here in Malaysia, and I actually played this game called uh, Bastion by Supergiant Games. That actually like knocked me out into a, like a rev- revelatory phase. I realized how powerful video games can actually be because they blended, uh, the interaction as well as the storytelling so well. And I found out that, okay, video games aren't just something that you can just play. It's really something you can tell a very strong story with. And there's the element of player interaction that makes the player feel close to the characters. You know, we feel like we're in control. And... That, that actually left such a huge impression on me that I decided that this is something that I really want to explore with my life. So after I completed uh, marketing, I decided I made a list of some video game companies uh, around the world and some here in Malaysia that I could explore. Uh, I actually found a really great company that I could join. I applied for it. I got the job. I worked there for two years, but as a business assistant, I was not touching the game design or game production at all. I worked there for almost two years. Then I decided to take the leap and start uh, my own project, which was this game, The Company Man.
0: Before we talk more about uh, The Company Man, let's talk about your studio. So uh, it was founded in 2018, if I'm not mistaken, right? Um, Maybe you can share a bit about, you know, how you set up the company. And if I'm not mistaken, there's like the meaning behind the name even, like that would be interesting to hear as well.
3: Yeah, so uh, we started this company called Forest, right? So we just wanted it to be called Forest La like um like a jungle a, a group of trees and i think that that really is the spirit of our company in its essence right a forest basically just means a seed becoming a forest uh, how an idea can grow and mature and You know, it's not just like a single tree. It's something that has to have a group of trees and that helps it to navigate different kinds of environments to become a healthy ecosystem. And that's really the spirit of our company. We want a place for sustainable creativity in Malaysia. Um, We want something where creatives can come here, their seeds can grow and they have a community of great trees that they can share together and really become something that, that can last and stand the test of time. Uh, Forest is also a play of words. It's for us, right? Um, and my dad also used to own a a wood company called Guyu. So I thought it would be really nice uh, to have that lineage in the name as well. Forest, yeah. So yeah, that's how I started Forest. Uh, Forest. We actually started about three years now. It took us two years eight months to work on the company man. So this is our first and only project. Yeah, games do take quite some time to make i started out uh straight from my previous company where i was sharing just now and now we are here Mm -hmm.
0: okay so so let's, let's talk about the idea behind the company man um obviously the game revolves around the protagonist's adventure throughout his company uh was it inspired by your personal experience working you know in the corporate world
3: yeah, I do get that question a lot. I think uh, what I would say is like, it's it's a shared collective of experiences uh, from everyone in our studio. Uh, definitely, we have not had anything as extreme as the game because the game goes like, it exaggerates the characters to the limit. You know, we have people who are falling from ceilings, uh, people ex. Uh, getting fired and exploding into flames we have uh, the aircon is on too long so there's spikes on the floor and there's ice growing out the floor there's frozen assets falling from the ceilings there isn't any uh, at least I hope work environment as hazardous as our game in real life but we're definitely inspired by uh, real life characters I think the company I came from was definitely not an evil company, but we definitely had a few quirky characters, some of them not even evil, uh, like people like farting uh, in the office a lot, people cutting their fingernails. We have all that in the video game. Another uh, source of inspiration for us was this show called The Office. I'm a huge fan and my art director was as well. Uh, So we actually watched the, I mean like, reruns of it like probably eight times like each of us so we watched it many many times and I, I actually started watching it when I was a student and when I came out I found out that the characters uh, inside the show were not were not only funny they were also real right there were really people who behaved like that you know they were spoofing office culture and making fun of the little things that happened in the office and all the little habits and I thought wow this is such a great idea and I haven't seen it actually Uh, played out in a video game format. And I thought it would just be really fun to explore it this way. But the show is actually very situational, very subtle humor, uh, told through like awkward pauses and stares and looks between uh, characters as well as uh, a lot of subcurrents of comedy that goes through. But for our game, we actually realized because it's a 2D platformer, and our characters are really small. It's really hard to see their facial expressions. Uh, and, and there's also this element of player interaction where the player can move, so we can't really have so many awkward pauses in the game. So we decided to just blow it up to have this very like anime-inspired kind of quirkiness uh, that's very loud and very bold and very colourful. And I think it really uh, sold the humour of the game in a very unique and different way like uh, than the content it was inspired by, which was The Office.
0: That was Andrew Theo, founder of Forest and lead developer of the company Man, a 2D action platformer that's now available on PC via Steam. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned. This is Gigi Played on BFM 89.9. BFM eighty nine point nine. You're listening to Gigi Well Paid. I'm your host Hanif Baharudin. Joining me in this episode is Andrew Teo. He's the founder of Forest, developer of the company man a two D action platformer that was inspired by the corporate and office culture. The premise is interesting, but what made them settle on a two D action platformer to tackle the subject? Me well, the process of creating the game in a 2 d uh, action platformer genre like uh, was that the main genre that you were aiming for when you had this idea or were you like toying with like different ideas as to how to approach this concept that you have?
3: right, so I think like when thinking about the game, there's definitely a ton of factors to think about. I think the main one that I tried to focus on on the start was what could we make um, because all of us had the video game industry in Malaysia isn't very massive. I mean, there's definitely a lot of seasoned players here, but there aren't that many of them like in US or in UK uh, where there are tons of game companies that have been around for years. Uh, there are probably like a handful of companies that uh, exist above 10 years. So for us, and most of them, the, the games that they've made were actually outsourced uh, content, not a lot of original IP. That means games that they were... The story was written here. The game design was made here. Uh, The types of jobs that you find here in Malaysia actually tend to be something like... uh, For instance, Nintendo is making a game. They have an outsourced division for their artwork. And we would have Malaysians actually working their craft, doing the, the animation, doing the concept art. And then we would send it back. But we don't touch the story and we don't touch the game design usually. I think now there are definitely more more and more opportunities there. But uh, at the time when I was starting out, there weren't. There and we would send back our amazing artwork and people would use it to tell their own stories. So I think from my side, when I was working in the company I was previously from, I found out, well, Malaysians actually have the talent to tell these amazing stories. And they really have the ability to showcase an amazing international level uh, skill. But we don't have a lot of opportunities to tell our own stories. So uh, back to your question, like, how how do we decide this? I realized that our core strength here, the the talent that I was able to recruit and convince to join this crazy adventure, uh, I realized they were very strong with artwork, right? Programming, designing, that was something very new for us. We've never had a lot of experience with making that because there weren't other jobs that For instance, someone was working as a programmer that I could uh, ask if they could join me. Uh, In fact, the programmer that joined us, the the people on our team, they did not have a lot of experience working with massive studios on massive IP that they made from scratch. So they actually were from university students that I've uh, asked them to come along. And we actually worked on this together. So it's our first game from a design standpoint, not just as a studio, but as individuals. So I picked out an industry, I mean, a genre that uh, we were definitely very familiar with. We played 2D platformer games, as well as uh, something that, like, from a programming standpoint, uh, was feasible and accessible. But it could also showcase the amazing artwork and animation that we knew we could get right.
0: Mm, all right. Okay. So, so uh, yeah, let's talk more about the design. The design looks to be slightly inspired from anime,
3: like you said earlier, right? Was that deliberate? Um, yeah, we actually went through a lot of different art styles and we found that, like I mentioned earlier, uh, the anime art style does a really great job of uh, selling the personality of the characters, even though they're really small. So for our game, because it's a 2D platform, we actually shrink the characters really small. Then we have a wide camera so you can see the environment. You can jump around and know what obstacles might be coming at you. So we needed a style that was familiar and uh, unique, but at the same time could show the exaggeration, the the wide expression of the characters and still feel right. And we felt the animation style uh, of anime really fit that really well. So we decided to go for that. Uh, of course we're all fans of anime here in our studio so we really uh, felt like it was a natural fit for us. Bye bye
0: um let's talk about the sound uh you don't have um dialogues that much but i think uh the best part about your game is that everything is text-based but at the same time they do speak one or two lines right yeah <laughs> that's that's pretty interesting for me I, I feel like that that's like a very unique approach that i think i've seen other game developers also use uh, when it comes to dialogues sometimes was that an artistic decision or was it something else
3: Okay, for this for this project, we really wanted it from top to bottom to be a Malaysian project. We wanted to use exclusively Malaysian talent. So even our voice actors, our sound designers, they're all Malaysian. So some of them were working on this for the first time. They don't get a lot of opportunities here, but we really tried uh, figuring out how to make things work. Uh, but I was just blown away when I actually met the voice actors and heard what they could do with their voices Uh, Initially, I wanted it to be even more simple. It's just like grunts and sounds and they're not even talking. But then when I heard uh, what they could do with their voices, I was like, okay, let's try to incorporate more of that in the game. We came up with this idea. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm getting the terminology right. I think it's called kung lang or something like that. Uh, It's basically they pick a syllable and they they repeat the syllable and play with it to create an emotion. So, for instance, uh, we have some characters that use our Malaysian la, and then uh, if if there was a dialogue line, they go la, 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 or la, 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 just to express that emotion. And uh, it gave so much life to our characters. So, once we did that, it really fit with the art style, matched with the storytelling, and we just thought it was a perfect fit.
0: Um, so, um, the game took quite a while to be done uh, and based on your, I guess, uh, lack of experience considering you know, that this is your first game, um, how, how was it like to, to be working on this project? Uh, what, what were some of the challenges that you faced um, as you developed the game?
3: Yeah, that's probably the part where I can just talk to no end about how much challenges there were. Uh, we actually have our uh, mantra that we say in our studio, which is experimentation is progress. We use that like as our banner flag to remind ourselves that failure actually is not something that uh, we can completely avoid. In fact, failure is expected. Uh, but we want the, the types of failures to be experiments. We don't want the types of failures that we get to be something that we've done many times and then we're still failing at it. We want to have mistakes where we're trying something new and we're learning along the way, and we learn from each experience. That's why we call it experimentation, right? Um, So that's really how we approach every single element of our studio because we don't have any reference point to learn from in terms of how to set it up, the production pipeline, how do we make game designs, how do we even test out our ideas. We didn't have uh, opportunities in other studios to actually learn that side of the process. So we approach everything through testing. So for instance, uh, I will come up and sketch up a game design. We will make a prototype. We will get players from outside our studio. Uh, We do have an amazing games community in Malaysia called, I think it's Gamers Hangout. And uh, we will meet up. Sometimes they will come over. It's other little indie game developers just like us. They will play our game. Then they will give us feedback on things that we can improve. And that's how we approach things. We just kept making new tests, uh, try it out, get feedback, improve. We actually redesigned the game many, many times. I can give you one very practical example. For instance, like the way we designed our floor, uh, we actually had perspective in the floor. And the players were standing in the middle of the floor and we found it uh, to be a challenge because players couldn't decide uh, where's the floor when they jump because we don't have like real perspective in the game, right? Uh, it's actually like a flat perspective. So we decided to put the players on top of the floor after playtesting the game a lot. And we found out it worked a lot better because there's a very clear line where the players are standing on top of. So things like that, we just learned along the way. We trial and error and then we figured things out. And then we realized what could really work for our game.
0: Mm, all right, that's great. uh you mentioned earlier about um other indie developers as well right um and you said earlier in the interview that the community is not as big, but how supportive are they when it comes to you know other developers and how willing are they to share knowledge to help you i guess develop your project?
3: Yeah, I think that's something I can really speak to being really amazing. I'm not sure whether it's just a Malaysian thing because I think uh the indie games community abroad as well generally extremely helpful. You know, they take their time to write forums about problems that they struggle with. They write development blogs and they share knowledge about um, their own personal struggles, like maybe optimizing a game or making sure the the lighting is really perfect for this blade of grass. Uh, And they share their stories and their struggles as as, as well as the solutions that they came up with to address these problems. This has been a tremendous resource for learning for us. Specifically for Malaysia, I can say it's the same story, right? There are so many indie studios here that have helped us out along the way and shared their knowledge. You know, they're about the same size as us, less than 10 people for many of them. And they were very open to sharing their feedback as well as some of the solutions they came up with to address this problem. Uh, they even like shared with us like, so for Malaysia, we have an amazing program by MDAC that supports uh, this industry through government grants, right? So I think naturally, the instinct for some game developers is to be very protective about their application. But we've even found that the indie game developers here were willing to share the links as well as um, how they presented with us. And we, we just learn from everybody. Hmm.
0: Yeah, um and I guess prior to the game's release uh earlier this year, last year you won Digital Content Creators Challenge of Develop KL, right? Um so how was that like to have that recognition even before the game's release?
3: Yeah, that was amazing. Um so I think joining competitions uh like this to fund our project, uh, I mean I can be frank, like if we didn't get those grants, if we didn't compete for those and we didn't win Uh, we probably wouldn't have made it because it's such a long production cycle. It takes about uh, two to three years. Some games can go up to four or five depending on the scope of the game. I think the extreme ones go up to 10 years. Um, So you basically have to front a lot of capital. So it's a very capital-intensive industry here in Malaysia and across the world. It's just a capital-intensive game. So we really needed to have access to funding so that we could continue development. And um, it's it's really a lot of work to compete and showcase. But I'm really happy with the DICE program because it gave us access as well to industry veterans that are here in Malaysia. We have some of them like one Hasmir DC from Magnus Games that actually gave their time through this program to mentor us in accordance with this program, give us feedback uh, I remember one Hasmir would share with us about our animations, how we could improve. We took the feedback and then we redid almost every animation in the game, just to make sure that it looked really right. And um, it really contributed to the quality of the product that we were able to put out.
0: Mm. So, like you said, I think to a certain extent, these kind of competitions, yeah, it's it's good to to I guess give you that kind of exposure as
3: well, right, and interactions with veterans in the industry, right? Yes. Yes. I think it's all like a test and an experiment and exposure for us. I think that's really critical, especially for our industry that's so small that we don't like self-cannibalize, but we really share knowledge and really try to, um, because the game design loop to us now doesn't really have to rely on genius. So we don't need to have a talent that it's like all-knowing and can develop the whole game idea from a notebook that he designed. But rather, it's more of a... Uh, at, at least our approach is a very iterative process. So we need to test our ideas. We need to show people our game and, and sort of have that trust that they won't steal our ideas. Um, but at the same time, have them to see the problems and share their feedback with us. And doing it with a platform like DICE, where it's supported by the government... Really gave us that uh safe space for us to do that.
0: Uh, let's talk about putting the game on Steam, right? Um, I don't know. Maybe I would like to just get your opinion on this subject because I think uh, recently we have a lot of people talking about you know how sometimes some platforms don't really support uh indie developers, right? So do you think that Steam and to a certain extent, Valve has been very welcoming to indie developers, especially new indie developers? Um, do you worry about things like marketing and you know exposure, visibility on the platform?
3: Well, I think. Uh, there's, there's definitely many layers to that question but first of all I think Valve is probably one of the best platforms for indie developers in fact it was really hard for us to get to uh, different platforms uh, we're, we're actually in some degree still exploring that especially because we're so fresh with no track record. So I think Steam is probably the best place to start. But at the same time, Steam is a PC platform. So something I would warn my fellow developers is that development for PC is very complicated in terms of uh, controls because uh, something that I didn't realize was that everyone's PC is slightly different. Uh, We even had a bug on early launch where uh, players would have a cutscene that would just loop and we found out that it was because the German language for uh, the German setting would like convert a first, like a period into a comma in translation and that will cause a bug in our game, right? So um, that that is the challenge on Steam because you're developing mainly for PC whereas if you develop for a console like Switch, uh, everyone has the same hardware, everyone has the same device. You just need to make sure it works on that device and it's going to work on everyone's device. Uh, so that's really the beauty of the console platform. Uh, But Valve is definitely very indie friendly, but I would say the level of competition is increasing day by day. The amount of games that come out uh, does affect visibility. So game developers like us need to be very creative on how we can stand out, how we can make something that's unique and compelling, as well as have an art style that that just grips people when they look at it. uh, Because... That crowding of the platform really does affect visibility, like for instance, like uh if you just think about a list and there's like ten things on the list we we have i don't know how many there are probably a few hundred games that come out on on Steam every day uh so if you imagine a list a hundred a hundred games coming out at the same time as your game, it's really hard uh for them to give you the visibility that you want. Especially on a platform like Steam that's already so popular,
2: mm
0: so uh how did you how did you tackle that yeah because then because it then falls back to marketing as well, right, and not just on the platform but also elsewhere, right
3: yeah, so there are many ways to deal with this uh to be honest, it's something that I am still trying to figure out, but I think at the end of the day it goes back to the basics, which is developing your relationship with your customer and your core consumer so there's, there's all like marketing should lead to a, a relationship between a customer and a developer right so using tools like discord uh, where we can talk uh, get feedback from our customer develop the game show that we really take their feedback seriously uh, interacting with them on facebook social media platforms i think right now uh, my best advice would be not to just stick to one uh, social media platform, but try to adopt a multi-platform strategy, try to be really active and listen to the feedback that you get online and fix it as soon as you can. And just develop that uh, relationship, probably like with one customer at a time, and just slowly develop that core base um, that this digital age really can uh, provide for us. Yeah, I think that really helps us to stand out. So like really great customer service, really great uh, customer relations, using their feedback and incorporating that into the game. That's something that's very unique Uh, and can be done for every game, right? Because every game will be unique and every customer will be different.
0: Mm. So your game has been out for almost two months now. Uh, What's the reception like?
3: Yeah, so the reception has been really great. We're really excited to see, you know, some really passionate fans out there. Uh, I think marketing is something that we're still working on, but the response has just been great already. We even got into our PAX Indie Showcase. Uh, so PAX is a, a video game convention. Uh, they picked our game out of like 100 games. I think we were like about 15 games were selected. Uh, the PAX convention is actually happening right now as we speak so happy to announce that with the Pax showcase uh, we're going to be giving our first discount of 15% uh, for the company man you can actually check it out on steam or uh, you can even check out the Pax convention Uh, we're participating in that showcase uh, right now so like right after this call I have to jump back and get to work on that yeah so uh, it's really great to to get uh, feedback from the press customers and people all over the world are really connecting with the content. I think the idea of a really hazardous workplace with wild quirky characters, accountants running around shooting spreadsheets at you, uh, something that can connect all over the world. So I'm really happy to see people laugh at our jokes and Uh, enjoy the amazing artwork that my team has been able to put out they've put in so much work Uh, we care about every single frame in our animation we debate every frame and we discuss and then we come up with something that we cannot do without this process all right okay that's great
0: Uh, so uh, what are your future plans after this Um, of course right now we're most likely going to be focusing on the company man but uh, what's next after this for you and for Forrest?
3: Well, we're definitely going to continue to support the game. Um, Like I've said just before, we really want to focus on getting that right. So customer feedback and and being able to deliver response to customer feedback does take a lot of time, especially for our studio at its current size. And we're looking to as well to port our game to many different consoles as well. We believe there's a huge market there. So we're going to be spending a lot of our time and energy there. But I can also pretty confidently say that we are imagining the future and we're really excited to explore new ideas uh, for our future games that we're going to be making Uh, but we can't announce them just yet we're still kicking ideas around in the studio That was Andrew Tio, Founder
0: of Forest And the lead developer Of the company Man A 2D action platformer That pokes fun At the office And corporate culture There's a 15% discount On the game right now And the offer ends On the 23rd of July So if you want to get it Better get it now If you'd like to listen To this episode again You can find the podcast On bfm.my Our app available On the Apple App Store Or Google Play And also Spotify Do share your thoughts About the show Or the games that you play Via our email ggwp at bfm.my Don't forget to also Follow the station On Twitter At bfm.my Radio. My name is Sanif Baharuddin. Thanks for joining us. Game on and stay safe. Till next time, GG Well Play. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or
3: find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.